Um, just to kind of tell you where we're going to be going is today we're going to talk about teaching your children about sex. Again, this is like part two, um, and then we're going to not do that anymore. Um, then the next, next week we're going to talk about, um, Terry brought up a, a conversation of how do you prevent yourself from walking into a fair, because affairs don't just happen. Um, there's cues that start taking place, um, and some of these cues can draw people into you like a compliment. Do we even compliment ladies if we're trying to prevent ourselves from having an affair? Or uh, do we even tell men that they're you're really respected? You know, those kind of guardian guards that we definitely want to pull up and try to find. So uh, we'll definitely be, be looking at, at those, um, and that's going to be in two weeks. And then in three weeks, we've got a real um, treat for you. Um, we have an individual that is going to talk. Um, he works with uh, Pure Desire, um, people that are addicted uh, to pornography, and he's part of our ministry that's working with those people that are addicted, and he has an awesome story. And so we're going to talk about, you know, the dynamics of sexual sin and how it enchains you, how it rules you, how it takes over, it takes you over, how it just wipes you out, you know, those kind of things. And then he's going to um, end up talking about his story, and that's three weeks away. And, uh, and then as we continue to move, we're, you know, moving towards, you know, um, understand homosexuality, what the Bible says about that, how should the church respond to that, and of course the list goes on in that regard. But, um, I keep on making a statement um, that I want to explain a little bit more. Um, just the reason why is because every time I make the statement, um, the people are going, asking questions, well, what are you talking about? And um, so I just want to go into that little bit before we get into teaching our kids about sex, um, because everything that I'm kind of saying is kind of based off, to, based off of this one statement that I'm making. And, and uh, the statement that I often make is, um, is, it's not number one, but it's on the first, is an offensive approach to raising our children. I keep on saying that. You've got to have an offensive approach by raising your children. You have an offense approach by um, fighting your sin. You have to have an offensive approach rather than a defensive approach. And um, people are, maybe you're not thinking, maybe you understand what, that, what I'm saying. Maybe I don't even understand what I'm saying. But I just want to tell you what I'm trying to say when I talk about um, an offensive approach, and we're going to take it specifically on raising children, and, um, and this is just um, an approach. It's not the way it is. It's, it's something that Jody and I have done, um, and I, I want to give it to you, but you don't have to take it. You can just, you know, do whatever you want with it, but um, this is the approach that we had, is that we did not want to go defense. We wanted to be obsessed with offense. What does that mean? Just talking about the first four points. An offense approach. Number one, build character instead of manage behavior. When we were raising our children, we focused on one large thing because we wanted an outcome when they were raised. And the outcome that we wanted was, was character. And whatever it took, we went after the character. Well, what does that mean? Just to give you an example. What that means is that as a father and my high school girls, and I'm, I'm talking about high school, junior high, high school age. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about children, and you'll see I'll move back there. High school age. Uh, when my, um, as a father, my girls, you know, might date um, or are dating and um, could be tempted into giving themselves away sexually. Um, as a father, I did not use um, the shotgun method. Um, in other words, what happens if a person came to my door and I said, all right, I just want you to know just like, you know, oh, what was it? The Duck Dynasty guys took a shotgun shell. They'd throw it to the boy that they, that's taking the girl out and says, I just want you to know it flies a lot faster after 10 o'clock. <laughs> so we didn't use that shotgun method that if you touch my girl, 
I am going to wipe you out. Um, and the reason why we did not use that, that method is because I believed at the core of my heart um, that if my girl is making out with a boy and she is starting to give herself away in a car, that I am a really bad aim from home. And if that situation ever takes place, there is only one person that's going to shoot that boy, and it's going to be her. So my mind is, I want to build the character inside of her, not where I'm carrying the shotgun, but where she is carrying the shotgun. And she says, this will be protected that she will be able to stand in regards of temptation, that she'll be able to stand against principle or towards principle and stand against anything that comes at her as she wants to protect herself. So the offensive method is, I'm not just going to tell you how to behave. I want to build your character because character drives behavior, but behavior does not drive character. And what happens is it's easy for us to, to think, okay, my child is going to behave like I want her to be, and it's easy for us to only focus on that. But if your child is behaving the way that you want them to be, that doesn't mean their character is growing. So that's just a narrow-minded focus. I am going after the character, and I'm not going to be consumed necessarily uh, with the behavior. Now, ask the question, do I want good behavior out of my children? Yes, I want good behavior out of my children. I just believe that it comes from character rather than my only focus on behavior. So I'm going to go after the character. That's kind of our, our drive. That would be an offensive method rather than defensive method. This is another one. Create responsibility instead of creating, creating rules. Um, and I'm going to have to explain this kind of in detail. But I, I heard a, a statement. It's from Andy Stanley. And uh, I really took it to heart in raising our kids and, um, and the thing he said is that, and we don't have a perfect family at all, <laughs> we're messed up, but what he said is that a perfect family has no rules. I'm like, oh, that's good. Tomorrow I'm going to have a perfect family. I'm going to get rid of all rules. That's not what he said. He said a perfect family has no rules, and the reason why they don't have any rules is because everybody in the family takes responsibility for their own actions. So they're carrying a responsibility that says, I'm not going to do this, and the reason why I'm not going to do this is because I am not somebody who follows the direction, but I'm actually somebody who follows my character. I am actually somebody who follows being responsible more than anything else. So I will tell you, this is, just, this is just how we function. You don't have to function this way. But when our girls were, um, and we all look at it at different ages, you know, who knows what age it comes. But I'm just going to say the, the age 10. Um, say 10, my job was to try to get rid of all the rules. <laughs> now let me tell you how you get rid of all the rules. Is the way you get rid of all the rules is you put all the rules on their shoulders. <laughs> and what I mean by put all the rules on their shoulders is I want them to know that I want no rules in our house. That's what I'm telling them. There is going to be no rules in our house. And they know that from a very, very young age. So all of a sudden they did something that was not good, something that was wrong. What's the first thing I do when I walk into their room and they did something that was not good? I tell them exactly what I want. 
I want no rules in our house, and you are demanding me to put something on you. And if you are demanding me to put something on you, I do not want to, but you are forcing me to do it. Therefore, we need to have something to talk about. And, and sure enough, do you know what they would do? Oh, no, Dad, 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 I don't want rules either. No, don't put anything on me. They start almost getting in my face, begging, this is begging me to tell them not, not what to do. I don't want to get in their face and say, you don't do this. I want them in my face of them telling me, I promise I will never do it again. You see, the, the direction is if you're looking at the principles and look at the rules, is I'm only going after character, and all rules will be applied when character is not there. If character is there, then yeah, I'll just pull it back. But when character is not there, and they start messing up and start doing things that they're not supposed to do, then we have to have a talk. And the way we talk is, I, you're, you're pinning me. You're pinning mom, you know, as, 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 as parents. You're pinning us, and uh, I'll just tell you, we need some advice, because you're demanding us to give you rules um, in that regard. The way that we looked at rules is, yeah, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, we looked at, okay, all we want to do is which ones can we pull away? How can we start pulling them away, pulling them away, pulling them away? And we test the waters. In other words, we're not trying to say our kids get to do whatever they want. We're not preaching. I'm not telling you anything that, you know, well, we'll just work with their behavior and those things. What I'm telling is, uh, this is just what we did. Um, what I'm saying is that um, an observation and pulling back is giving them responsibility to take on life. And that's what we focused on all the way through. What rules can we pull back? Oh my goodness, we pulled that rule back. We need to bring that rule forward again <laughs> because they haven't done it. But we constantly try to pull back, uh, pull back the rule. See, it's, a, a, it's an offensive way to do it rather than a defensive way to do it because sometimes in our minds we can say, oh, I got rules, 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 and the outcome will come this beautiful child. Um, but we're thinking of, no, I just want to have this communication with our children all the way through their life and walk next to them, and hope perfectly the outcome is they'll come out extremely strong, extremely, you know, extremely powerful to walk into that crazy, crazy world that they'll be going into. Uh, number three, this is just a method we used, empower instead of control. Um, I asked my children, and Jody and I consistently talk to our children, just like I talked about in the sermon that we want to know what's in our children's minds. And uh, so we ask our children questions. Uh, tell us um, what you need. Tell us what you did, what we did good. Uh, tell us what we did bad. And we still, even at this age, you know, in, in those regards. And in one of these conversations, I asked my child, I asked Maddie, and said, you know, give us, um, tell us something that, that really, really stuck home with you um, that gave you strength, if you have it. And uh, do you know what she said? She said, the obscene amount of compliments. He said, it's just compliment, 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 compliment. Um, she didn't know, but all compliments came from a purpose uh, through my reading. And the reading that I had before I was raising kids, trying to figure out how to raise kids, they say, wherever you want your child, you compliment them to it. And what you do is they will be, go wherever you and compliment them to go. And so if you don't want them to, if you don't want them to mess up, you compliment their character, and you, say, and you do not compliment the other things that are going to different insights. But just tell them they're wonderful. Tell them they're beautiful. Tell them they're amazing. Tell them what happens is it empowers a child. 
And when, a power is, when your children is empowered, they're going to want to go where they're powerful. So if you empower a child in the right direction, they're going to want to go in the right direction. And that is how you empower a child. Just compliment, compliment, compliment. Now, I said that I got this from a reading, and do you know where I got the reading? It's actually one of the best books I have in my library. And the reading is Just Say Good Dog. It's how to train a dog. <laughs> you can actually compliment a dog into a direction of saying, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're good, you're strong, you're amazing. And all of a sudden, confidence starts coming and strength starts to come. So I empower instead of control. Don't watch, don't work, don't do this, don't, don't, don't. No, I want to make the person empowered, make our children strong, make them uh, remember, they're going into a big world, and that's, that's just that's what an offensive approach would be. Number four, uh, teach them to be alive rather than avoiding death. Um, if your children are alive, um, they will avoid death. Um, but we can teach children how to obey rules, but we can't teach them to uh, um, have joy. Um, teach them to have happiness. Teach them to have energy. Teach them to have purpose. Teach them to have mission. Teach them to have drive. Teach them to have, you know, all the things that, that a human needs to survive in the world. Um, those are the things that it's like, I want a, you to walk out of here and be completely and entirely um, alive. And uh, going back to, you know, if there's a lot, a lot of rules, then all that does is it takes the wind, it takes the confidence. Um, and it brings all power into you and not power into them. But if you go the offensive way, you don't want the power. You want them to have the power going in the right direction, the healthy direction. And so I want them to be completely and entirely alive. And therefore, our approach is how can I make my children alive, on fire, excited about God? My wife's and I, greatest fear. My kid's going to know children. I got to be excited about God. I ask my question, am I excited about God? Because if I'm not excited about God, they're not going to be excited about God. And what happens if they grab a hold of God? What do you do? You just shower them with compliments. You shower them with thank you. You shower them with they need to know your parents' greatest fear and the greatest fear that a parent has, we have, is that they don't know Jesus. And uh, so our kids, would, our kids would know that. So teach them to be alive instead of avoiding death because if you are alive, um, you're obviously... <laughs> You're obviously avoiding death. <laughs> avoiding death is natural. It's instinct. Being alive needs to be taught, trained, encouraged, and pushed. So that's just kind of the basic thing. When I start talking about offensive, those are just things that, that we did. You don't have to do them. Um, there's different methods out there, and this is just one strategy uh, that we've used, um, and, and you don't have to use them. I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of cases it hasn't worked. Some cases it has worked. Um, but uh, that's the area we go. So now let's look at the focus when teaching your children about sex. Now when I'm talking about teaching your children about sex, I will tell you that I'm going to be holding on to these four principles. <laughs> this is what's driving us as parents. Now I'm going to start teaching them um, about, about sex. Um, and when I start teaching them about sex, I'll tell you what you, you want to do is you want to give them information, and you want to give them not negative information, but critical information you need to stay away from, but you also want to give them positive information to look forward to, so you'll see that. So here's just an education about sex. Number five, in regards to our sexuality, men are passionate, focused, um, in regards to our sexuality, men are passionate, focused, and can be swept away by the woman's body. Um, we don't like to say that, 
but I'll tell you where the focus is in regards to our sexuality. And every kid that's walking through the halls of the high school, every kid that's walking through the halls of junior high, there is a focus in the man. And do you know what the focus is? It is an obsession with a woman's body. If a woman's body is seen naked, a guy, his temptation is strong. That body carries power. That body carries strength. That body carries something that takes a guy, and he is willing to throw a whole world away when he sees that woman's bite. Now, we don't like to say that because we're a church, and I'm a pastor. I really don't want to say that. You know, my passion is, you know, a woman's body because it is, though. That's the truth. Bible talks about that as well. Look at 2 Samuel. I'm going to talk about a guy who had absolutely everything. King David, absolutely everything. All power, all awesome relationship with God. Everything he ever wanted as a human being, and he had no mistakes all the way through as he saw was coming after him. Everything he ever wanted, he had, but he got swept away. And I want to look at this passage and say, what swept him away to take everything he had and to almost get rid of it? Let's look at it. 2 Samuel eleven two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That means he saw a naked woman and a focus started to go. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, what's really interesting is that this is a comment of a servant that is speaking to David. Give you the whole picture. David sees a naked body, and his mind goes and is focused. The servant wants to give him a clue. And how do you know the servant wants to give him a clue? Because if you're ever going to address anybody, you dress, you know, you would say Bathsheba, the, um, the daughter of this person, the granddaughter of this person, the great-great-granddaughter of this person, the great-great-great-grandfather of the, not granddaughter, but great-father of this person. That's how you address a person in the Old Testament, in Israel. But look how this person's addressed. The servant doesn't want to lose his head. But what does he do? He says, David, isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah? You never address somebody like that. But he's trying to tell David, don't touch her. (laughs) That's what he's trying to tell her. But where is David's mind? It's obviously not in the verse. (laughs) It's obviously gone. Why is his mind gone? It's because he saw something that carried the power to get it away. And we say, well, women's bodies don't carry much power. Women's bodies carry power, and Scripture consistently talks about it. Proverbs 5, we talked about this verse, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. This is not talking about her personality. This is talking about her body and the complete power that a woman's body has. Now, this verse right here, if you look at it, is a definite fact that um, Scripture is inspired by God. And the reason why is because if man is the only one that wrote Scripture, he would have put this verse in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Let her breast satisfy me. This is the direction that we're going to go after. This is what he's working. No, men are passionate, obsessed with the body. I will tell you how women think. Women are a little disgusted with it. In fact, when I start talking about Song of Solomon and everything, and it's like Song of Solomon is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, let's men are like, let's study Song of Solomon. Girls are like, I don't want to study Song of Solomon. 
talks about, you know, necessarily the sexual things that I, I really don't even want to do it. But the book is given there for a purpose, and the purpose is to say, men, just say the words. You like a woman's body. That's focus. As women get mad at us, we can throw the stone the other direction because you guys have an obsession too. Uh, women, do you know what your obsession is? <laughs> My wife, I wonder if she's in the back row. She's probably thinking, uh, keep your mouth shut. When you talk about sexuality, don't talk about women. <laughs> uh, but women have an obsession too. And what is women's obsession? Number six, in regards to sexuality, women are passionate, focused, and can be swept away by a woman's body. You're probably thinking, oh my goodness, what kind of class are we doing here? This is not good. Let me explain what takes place. Is the body, when it comes to sexuality, is the woman's body, not the man's. The woman's body is the focus. And if you don't believe it, look at every single wedding that ever takes place. Whenever a wedding takes place, what's the focus on? I tell everybody, when the wife walks in the room with her dress on, everybody stands up. And I tell everybody at rehearsal that if you are not looking at the bride the entire time of wedding, the photographer cannot take a picture because it is bad etiquette to not look at a bride. Everybody stands up, everybody looks, and as she walks in, she comes down, and everybody is completely focused on who? Specifically focused on the body. I've never had a groom, uh, focused on the girl, I've never had a groom say, how come I don't get that much uh, attention? How come I don't get that? Um, And the reason why is because when it comes to sexuality, the woman's body is the focus. And I'm not saying weddings are sexual, are sexual, but I'm just saying this is the focus. And you women might be thinking, well, I'm not focused on women's body. Um, I was on a walk with my wife, and I told her what kind of sermon I was going to give. And do you know what she said? She said, you're right. Women are obsessed with their body. How many times do you look in the mirror? How many times are you thinking, oh, I wish I could lose this? How many times are you thinking, this is just going too much? How many times is there an obsession, if I could only look beautiful? There is an obsession that takes place with the woman's body from the woman and also from the man. Look at these pictures. This will kind of show it. Are we obsessed with our bodies? Men are obsessed with our bodies. When we look into the mirror, we go scrawny, but oh, no, we're, we're as good as could be. But women, when they look at the mirror, there is this obsession. It's like a cry Am I beautiful? Am I all right? Am I lovable? Am I somebody that people look at? And they're not specifically talking about the body, but a lot of it is focused on the body. And every single girl that's walking down the halls of a high school is thinking that question. And they're not thinking, I am the most gorgeous person in the world, because the most gorgeous person in the world is still saying, I can lose more weight. I can still look different. I can still be more beautiful. There is that obsession that has taken place. So if that um, obsession is taking place, and we're going to teach our kids about sexuality, and say we're going to teach about girls' sexuality, what are we going to start with? Um, We're going to start focusing on, oh, I want to show you guys another picture just to kind of show it. Here's another picture. Oh, no, that's not it. One more. That's not it either. One more. (laughs) You can look at that one right there. <laughs> There's a couple extra pictures that I'm supposed to pull out of there. But I've got nothing to wear. Here's a guy. I've got something to wear for an entire week by looking at this. See, we can laugh at those because we do know that that is how things function. So here I am raising girls. And as I'm raising girls, um, what should I do? 
in regards to sexuality. One thing about girls and teaching girls in regards to sexuality is that they don't give themselves away because they think they're beautiful. Girls give themselves away when they don't think they're beautiful. See, it's focused on the body. So what am I supposed to do as a dad? Am I supposed to tell the girls, tell our daughters, okay, watch out for sexuality and give them a whole list of things, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do when really they're asking the question, am I, am I, am I, am I, am I? So if I'm going to give my daughters a sexual education, there is going to be a sexual education, is number one is that your body does carry a power. It carries a strength. It carries an ultimate force. And I want to tell you that you're beautiful, and this is the body that you, that you have, and it's absolutely beautiful. See, what you're doing is you're building that person up offensively. Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceitful. What happens is they're explaining charm is deceiving us, thinking, Am I beautiful? Am I not? But this is the focus of a woman when she's walking through it. I'm sorry, I'm talking about women. I could be completely wrong, and my wife would be correcting me if she was here, but I don't see her. So as they're walking through the the halls of the school, they're thinking, am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? Am I wanted? Am I desired in regards to sexuality? And when people are texting and say, give us nudes and give us this and give us this, they start asking the question, am I desired? Am I wanted? And they will hand themselves away to something where it desires them and something that wants them, even when they don't want to hand it away. That charm is completely deceitful. And that charm, according to this, beauty is completely in vain, but yet it drives a woman. And again, I'm preaching women because I don't completely understand it, but my wife has talked to me about this. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be saved. So looking at that, the base, two fundamental rules And this is uh, for girls and boys. If I'm going to give them an education about sex, I'm going to work on two different fundamental rules, two different fundamental things that are in my mind in in that regard. So when it comes to girls, what would those fundamental rules be? Let's just uh, give you a, a picture of what a fundamental rule would be. Your daughter walks out, and as she walks out, um, not everything's as covered as the dad wants them to be as covered. <laughs> so in other words, she's wearing something that is not necessarily reveals a little bit too much. And dad knows that. And dad knows that she is going to go into the school wearing that. So the dad is going to do what? He is going to say something. What are you going to say when she walks out like this? Now remember your dad, what are you going to say? Um, before we say what you're going to say, let's say the things we're not, that you probably should not say. Because it's things that we usually do say. Uh, go put on something nicer than that. That's something we often think about. Um, that doesn't even look attractive. That is absolutely inappropriate. Go get dressed. What's the things that, should you say that? Probably not. Nobody is going to want to see you looking like that. What we often do is we don't even know it, but when we are making direction of teaching our daughters, what are those words coming out? But what is healthy to say and what is not healthy to say in regards to that situation for the dad? Think of something else that you say. Is there anything else that you can say that would be healthy? Anybody have anything? Francis, you guys have anything? Yes, Patty. I want to get it from the ladies. This is good. This is really good. What can can you say? In fact, ladies, raise your hands. (laughs) daughter when Mm -hmm. she was a teenager because her friend 
uh, she could dress whatever how she wanted to. <clears throat> so anyway, we went to a store and she tried on this and I said, go look at yourself. Talk it up. There you go. go look at yourself in the mirror and see what you look like. Mm -hmm. And then she realized in what I was doing was nagging at her, no, you can't wear this, this, this. But once I realized, go look at yourself in the mirror. And then that tells the person, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to wear that. Mm -hmm. But something to try. I'm not saying it's going to happen mm -hmm. to everyone, but yeah. if, you, if they don't like hearing from mom and dad how they're being told how to dress, or when you go shopping with them, just say, well, go look in the mirror and see if you'd want to wear that out in public or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. Once I did that, she finally realized. Yeah. Because there's an answer that you got to say, but what answer do you give? Might be an answer. But there's a lot of wrong answers in regards to that. Mike, we got, one, we got another question um, up here. Some of our answers are, um, guys don't really like that. Guys don't really want to see that. Is that true? <laughs> um, Francis. Yeah, uh, when our daughter was, grow, you know, in high school, at that time, Jean, at that, thank you, <laughs> at that time, uh, jeans were ripped, you know, and stuff, and she put on a pair of jeans like that. Well, Danny was there, and he says, no, you're not going to school like that. I make enough money, you wear decent clothes, mm -hmm. you know, but she wanted to be notice, be popular in this stuff, but she had to go back and change her clothes, and she did look better in the clothes she changed into than she did in the ripped jeans. And my, so that was her, that was kind of our choice and her choice, you know, she wasn't met really mad about it, you know, she, I guess she wanted our, came out and wanted our opinion you know, on how she should dress. And I remember one time when, when Danny and I were dating, I put on some heavy eye makeup. My dad was there. He says, you're not going out and looking like that. Go in and wash your face. Mm -hmm. And when I told Danny about it, Danny didn't like girls with a lot of makeup on, you know, on their face. Yeah. So, I mean, things are, are just different mm -hmm. now than they were back then. Yeah. You know, of course, we're back to the ripped jeans again, but mm -hmm. nevertheless. You know. So what can you say when your daughter walks out that will make her completely alive, that will make her completely full of energy, make her feel completely strong, make her feel completely um, full, make her feel completely beautiful? What can you say, and is there anything you can say to do that and to get her to change her clothes. Because you gotta, you've got to say something. And, and sometimes when we say something, we're going to get one thing, and sometimes the only thing we get is changing the clothes. But in the process of getting her to change the clothes, we shut down a spirit. Is there something that you can say, one word, one statement, one foundational drive that can be said that will give you both. Whistle. Changing the clothes, whistle. 
I don't think she would change the clothes, though. <laughs> I, do you think she would change the clothes if you whistled? If Dad says, you look absolutely gorgeous, go on. And then all of a sudden I send my daughter out to the wolves looking like that. <laughs> because you want to stop it. But what you have to think, there's got to be one statement, one drive, one thing you're going to say where you're going to get both, and is there one statement that you can get both? 